Good morning. Welcome back to uh, Spencerville's Sabbath School study. And I'm once again joined by my friend Frank Hazel, who is one of the authors of this quarter's uh, lesson study, along with his cousin Michael Hazel. And we are so glad that you have chosen to join us once again. I want to remind you, as I have every week, that this time that we're spending together should not supplant your personal study time and your personal time of opening the lesson and opening the word. Uh, we, as you, if you've been joining us for all the lessons, uh, pick out certain things and mm. choose to discuss those things. We don't yes. go day by day with every single thing. So for your own edification, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, we pray that you are well as you are isolating, as you are physically distanced. We pray that you're still having some social connection. I was thinking, uh, Frank, that, that other than my wife and maybe a few people I see when I'm walking on the road or up her run, uh, I've spent more time with you than anybody. So <laughs> like it or not, you're going to be my best friend after okay. all this is done. Well, that's so, fine with me. <laughs> so we, uh, we, uh, we appreciate uh, you being here with us again. Uh, we're going to be in lesson five this morning. And lesson five and six have some challenging aspects to them, Frank. Uh, I well. just got to admit. Um, <laughs> and I, as, I, as I make the promise to you every week, sometimes on camera, sometimes off camera, I'm going to try not to get you in trouble. Uh, so so I, will, I will try to do that. You notice I never say I'm going to try not to get me in trouble. I feel like I get in trouble all the time, so I'm just going to try not to sure, get you sure, in trouble. Sure. <laughs> so, Appreciate but, it. But uh, before we begin lesson five, I want to ask you as we do every week sure. to uh, pray for us to for our God to guide our conversation. Yeah, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we, we come to you because we want to learn from you and from your word. Mm -hmm. We appreciate the opportunity to exchange ideas and to stimulate our thinking, and we want to, to do this in harmony with your word. Yes, and so yes. as we think about the Bible and the role of the Bible and why we claim to go by the Bible alone, help us to understand that important Protestant principle better as we discuss the questions of this lesson and study uh, the passages of Scripture that go along with it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So lesson five, by Scripture alone, the Latin, sola scriptura, mm -hmm. only Scripture, uh, became very popular, of course, during the time of the Reformation yes. as far as that terminology yes. goes. In this lesson... Frank, you and Michael uh, paint a beautiful ideal that we struggle, probably all of us in many ways, to actually live by mm -hmm. and even to believe by hmm. in some ways. And so, so we're going to talk about the ideal, but we're also going to talk about some of the challenges sure. that, this, that this brings. And just on, on Sunday... Just to kind of start us off to give a little story, which was, which was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I'm currently getting my doctorate at a Southern Baptist seminary. And I was sitting in a class, and uh, one of the professors referred to Southern Baptist, and he said, we, we must make sure that Scripture is our authority as we study ecclesiology. After all, we are a people of the book. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, well, and I even said it out loud, 
Excuse me, I thought Adventists were the people in the book, <laughs> because that's what we've said all our lives, and you guys have it here. From the beginning, Seventh-day Adventists have considered themselves to be the people of the book. Let's start right there. Mm -hmm. The challenge that we immediately face, where you have two bodies, good people in both, both Protestant, mm -hmm. both evangelical, <clears throat> um, both bodies that would be considered conservative on the theological spectrum. Both go by scripture alone. Both, got, both say sola scriptura. Mm -hmm. And both say they're the people of the book. And yet, differences. Speak to that a little bit. Well, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very pertinent observation that you have uh, made there. Yes, fortunately, let's, let's put it that way. Fortunately, there are Christians, other Christians than Seventh-day Adventists who claim to go by scripture alone. And we stand in that tradition. It's a Protestant tradition. Uh, the Protestants uh, coined that phrase, scripture alone, because they wanted to have scripture as their foundation, as the basis of their belief, as the authority over against any other external authority, especially the church tradition. Mm -hmm. And so in, in that sense, they chose to have the Word of God, the Bible, Scripture alone, sola scriptura. We Adventists share that sentiment. We share that approach. Now, why are there still different uh, Christians with different opinions, mm -hmm. even though they claim to go by Scripture alone? That's a good question, and I don't think there is an easy uh, cut answer that uh, covers it all. But there are several factors that play into that uh, situation, and that is that while people may claim to go by Scripture alone, not everybody actually does go by sola scriptura. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, maybe next week we'll, we'll uh, uh, discuss that a little bit more when we talk about the need of interpretation yeah. and factors that uh, influence even our reading of Scripture. So, <clears throat> um, you mentioned uh, the the Baptists, the Southern Baptists. Who I love, uh, by uh, the way. We love them. We, 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 <laughs> we appreciate them. We have many, many things in common. Yes. And, and that is, I think, important also that we focus on the things that unite us across uh, different denominational boundaries. And uh, they have studied the scriptures, and uh, they have come to the conclusion, let's say, that um, infant baptism is not what the Bible actually teaches, because the Bible always connects baptism with faith. And choice. And, yeah. and, and choice. And it, it, you need to, to, to be a, a, a person who can make a deliberate decision for Jesus to follow him. And so they've pointed that out. Now that's something we share with them. And we got from them even. And we got even from them. And, uh, but that is something that would, uh, would be different from, let's say, a Lutheran Christian. Yeah or uh, some other uh, Christian traditions. Why? Because I think they have tried to go by Scripture alone mm -hmm. and have allowed Scripture to inform their theology on a particular point mm -hmm. that has led them to that conclusion, and we share that mm -hmm. for that particular uh, understanding. Could we also acknowledge, because as I read this week's lesson, and also as I prepared for next week's lesson, um, 
this word comes into my mind, humility, Mm -hmm. over and over again. Mm -hmm. And when we think about history, we would say Luther was fully walking down that path of the remnant when he was doing the Protestant Reformation, right? Mm -hmm. But he believed things that John Wesley came around with the Methodists and said, you know, this isn't quite accurate. And John Wesley added to that. And and the Anabaptists mm-hmm, mm-hmm, added to, mm-hmm, to some mm-hmm. aspects of that. Even Lutheran and his colleagues persecuted the Baptists for what you just mentioned, not mm-hmm. being willing to baptize mm-hmm, mm-hmm. infants. Um, and so there's this aspect of this. And each one was sola scriptura. Yeah. And yet there was like, it was, it was as if God was not, they couldn't handle all of it at one point. That's right. is, that, is that okay? Now, if, if we talk about Reformation. Yeah. A reformation is, uh, is needed only if there is a deformation. And the deformation of truth has not taken place over, overnight. It, it, uh, it is a long process yeah. over, over years and decades and centuries. Yeah. And so uh, it is only um, understandable that a reformation of a deformation process will not take place overnight either. And I think God in his patience and his grace has allowed that slowly more and more light was shed and discovered from the scriptures that helped to see the true meaning of the biblical text over against some deformations that have crept in over the centuries. So we should be careful within the Protestant world of defining someone as anti-sola scriptura simply because they have a different belief than us, right? Yes. We should be humble. Yes. And, you know, the challenge is for us as well. We, we claim to go by the scriptures alone, by the Bible alone. And, uh, and yet, um, this is a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least if we are open enough to learn from scripture and to be transformed by scripture and to discover yeah. new things from scripture, uh, this has to apply for us as well. It's, it's that great statement that we often imply individually, but maybe it can be implied corporately as well. Uh, sanctification is a work of a lifetime. Yes, you know, it's, yes, it's the yes, same yes, thing, yes, like, yes. like the process of learning is, yes. is that, is that and let me just let me just add this, you know, we talk about sola scriptura, sola meaning by scripture alone. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about solo scriptura. We're not talking about... Oh, that's a strong word. This is only uh, scripture and nothing else. Nothing and else can give us information or we insight. We can benefit from many insights and other things, but in the final analysis, we go by scripture alone. Yeah. And we've talked about different sources yeah. uh, in previous uh, weeks. And I, I think that's, that's part of the thing. We are not denying that there is experience. We are not denying that there is reason and tradition. Yeah. But scripture alone means that this Bible has the final and highest authority over against any other source that also influences our thinking. Um, Before we get to another hardball one, mm-hmm. I'm going to go to one. Touch on the unity of Scripture. Yes. And while you're doing that, I'm going to look up a text, but go. Um, yeah. In, uh, and, and, the, and the power of the unity of Scripture in regards to sola scriptura. Yeah. Well, um, when we talk about sola scriptura, actually, you know, sometimes we use that just as a phrase, as a... Uh, terminology that we use without much thinking. Mm-hmm. 
But when we talk about sola scriptura, it actually implies several principles of interpretation. And part of that is the idea of the unity of scripture. And the unity of scripture is important and we believe uh, exists because God is the ultimate author of mm -hmm. scripture. He has inspired scripture. He has inspired the biblical writers to uh, communicate his, uh, his will and his truth to us. And therefore, we can expect, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, a certain unity throughout the Bible. Now, if that were not the case, if the Bible were not inspired, we, we could not expect a theological unity in the mm -hmm. book. Now, think about it. If we don't have a theological unity within the book, we cannot use the Bible anymore to be the criteria, yeah. the norm that helps us to distinguish truth from error. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All it would lead us to, and we would be left with, is that we could say, oh, there are different opinions in the Bible. There are even conflicting op opinions in the Bible between Old and New Testament, different writers. We could say, this is the opinion of, of, of John, Mm -hmm. But that is not Pauline uh, theology, and, or that is not uh, uh, the theology of this or that. Mm -hmm. So we would be left with different theologies, conflicting theologies mm -hmm. within the Bible that would, not, uh, that would contradict each other. And the Bible would lose its power to help us find a way. Yeah. This is kind of what we see in Titus chapter 1. Uh, in the book of Titus chapter 1, mm -hmm. and it's talking about overseers here above reproach, you know, and it gives all these, these elements, you know, don't be violent, don't be greedy, mm -hmm. be hospitable, self-controlled, holy, disciplined, da, da, da. But then verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. The idea here is that there is a singular mm -hmm. word, mm -hmm. there's a singular that, can be, referred to. that mm -hmm. can be referred to in order to not only avoid those things in his life, quick temper, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. adjust, but also to help him to correct others mm -hmm. when they go astray off of mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. so, so, and what we understand here clearly is that this is a reference to the Word. It even says the Word. So it's yes. speaking of the Word yes, of God. Yes, yes, yes. Now, at that time, there was no, like, uniform New Testament. So it would show the unity of what is being taught here, say, even in the book of Titus, which is a little book, and the unity of the Old Testament, right? Oh, yes, yes. That's what we're seeing there. Yes. Uh, of course, the, the New Testament was not uh, complete yet. Yeah. Uh, but, and that's what uh, I mean by that, yeah. Yes. But uh, you're right, the primary focus of, of uh, the authors there is on the Old Testament. And that is very interesting because it tells you that the unity of Scripture means that we, um, we appeal to the entire Bible, yeah. Old Testament and New Testament. For us, the Old Testament is not on a lower level of authority than the New Testament. See, for some Christians, that is the case. They look at the Old Testament and they say, Old Testament is law. Old Testament is legalism. Old Testament is salvation by works. New Testament is love. New Testament is grace. New Testament is, 
is forgiveness uh, through Jesus Christ, and they place that above the Old Testament and have a kind of a hierarchy. Well, they even define themselves as New Testament Christians or New Testament churches. But if you take Jesus as an example, or the New Testament writers for that matter, they consistently refer back to the Old Testament, yeah. and they never question the authority of the Old Testament. They show sola scriptura, meaning both testaments. You guys put it this way. The two testaments have a reciprocal relationship in which they shed light upon each other, and I yes. think that's important. Yes. So the Old Testament is open to the New. The New grounds itself in the Old in Testament. In the Old Testament. Now, let me just add this, this little thought here. Yeah, do so. That when we talk about the unity of Scripture, we also mean, and that is an important principle for interpretation, tota scriptura, meaning all of Scripture. Mm -hmm. We're talking about mm -hmm. Old and New Testament, yeah, yeah, yeah. not just selective parts yeah, of Scripture. Yeah. So when we talk about the unity of Scripture, we mean that all of Scripture is important to inform our understanding of certain things. I like that you say that because total scriptura, uh, because someone could say, I'm, I'm sola scriptura, I'm whatever John says, mm -hmm. you know, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, I'm good, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They could say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sola scriptura, I'm only using Scripture to guide my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sola Scriptura must be coupled mm -hmm. with Toto Scriptura mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from Genesis through Revelation, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. For Sola Scriptura really to be lived out in that principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because that's one of the Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, get rid of the book of James. It's a waste, you know? I mean, he didn't... Well, he didn't quite say it that way, but... but, <laughs> uh, but I shouldn't yes, for... tell the German how... No, but uh, he called it the, the, the straw epistle. Yeah. <laughs> which is actually, it's hollow, it it's, it's, uh, has no content. Yeah. He didn't see the, the, the beauty of uh, justification by faith. He yeah, saw yeah. justification by works in yeah, James, yeah, yeah. and therefore he actually wanted to, to exclude it from the canon. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting detail. In the German Bible, in the Luther Bible, you won't find James at the same place as in the English Bible. Really? It is moved towards the very end, just before the book of Revelation because uh, Luther didn't like the book of Revelation either because it's emphasizing overcoming and uh, conflict those, and those who will be victorious. And that yeah. sounded like works uh, religion to him. Interesting. And so he couldn't see Jesus in the book of Revelation. So you grew up strange. reading a Bible where James is. And I still have difficulties. You know, when I look James, you know, uh, I look for my German Bible and it's a different place and I have to find it in the... In the like, in wait, the, that's in the, Jews. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go back to another kind of challenging one. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, the clarity of Scripture on Tuesday, you talk about the clarity of Scripture. Yes. And, uh, and, and really there's an emphasis in this one that the Bible is unambiguous, which is challenging. You know, the Bible is sufficiently clear. This is all challenging because we get so confused. But then you all write, we do not need any ecclesiastical magisterium to provide the Bible's meaning for us. And yet, we know that while we love to refer to Adventists as really understanding the Bible, and I think Adventists do have a pretty good grasp on the Bible in many ways, we've become potentially overly dependent upon theological committees and hierarchies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, we're, you've painted the ideal but we live sometimes in a different reality. 
And I just know from my history, I mean, I was raised Adventist, and yet at the same time, I really didn't start paying attention to Adventism until college. I didn't even understand. I was already decided to be a pastor when I realized that there was like a GC president. I didn't even know what that was until I was like a sophomore or freshman at college or something. Um, and since I've been paying attention, we have theological debates or things, and we form a committee, and that committee speaks and so, well, so yeah, speak, so, well, to this, well, yeah. speak to this challenge uh, uh, of this idea of clarity and... and, and uh, that's, the, that's a very interesting observation. And I think we have, to be, we have to be careful here. Yes, we do not want to have a teaching magisterium like in the Roman Catholic Church where the bishops and the Pope in the, in the final analysis uh, determine the meaning of the biblical text for the believer. Mm -hmm. we, have never, uh, we have never accepted that. We believe that everyone can read and understand the Bible. It doesn't mean, when we talk about the clarity of Scripture, it doesn't mean that, um, that there are not passages within the Bible that are challenging to us. Yeah. Uh, and even for me, there are passages you know, that are not so easy to understand. And where we grow in our understanding and learning, and uh, even the, um, the Apostle Peter acknowledged that some things yeah, that Paul, Paul wrote are tough. difficult yeah, to understand yeah. and some twisted to their own destruction. Yeah. So there's, there's a challenge that is acknowledged even by the biblical writers. So we are not, we are not denying that. But when it comes to the, um, to the important message of the Bible, uh, it is so clear that even a small child can understand yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, even a, a studied person will marvel at the depth of, of the meaning of that and will never uh, exhaust it. Now, coming back to your observation, yes, sometimes we... we Let others think for... Sometimes we might be tempted to leave some of the interpretation to the scholars, to the trained scholars, and we kind of elevate them... Uh, who has a PhD or who is a pastor or has a theological training to become uh, our interpreter of the Bible. That should never be the case. Now I say this, I have, a, I have a theological training. I've worked as a teacher and as a pastor and there is a need for that. But on the other hand, we also have to be humble enough to acknowledge that God can lead any person into truth. And even we, as trained pastors and scholars, can, can learn from other people mm -hmm. and need them and their insight. And I think that's, that's a beauty of the church, where we need all. See, God leads us as a church, not, not just through the PhDs and the mm -hmm. academics mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, the scholars. He leads everyone, and that's why we, in our church setting, uh, I think that's something that I'm proud of and that, that I like. We have a representation not just from administrators and scholars, but from lay members from around the world. Really, that's the beauty, beauty of the, just to make a little plug for the Sabbath school system. It, 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 exactly, it's yes. It's the beauty of the Sabbath school system. I mean, most, well, a lot of churches have elders and laity preaching, but the churches I've grown up in have been larger churches, and so the pastor is the preacher. And yet, when it comes to the Sabbath school, the study time, it's the... And and let me, just, let, let me just add this here. I, I think we should never get rid of Sabbath school as part of our worship experience because that is something where 
where we can learn as a church community together on, on various, I think we give God an opportunity to lead us when he's speaking through multiple voices. In, 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 in the entire church, you know, yeah. as we study similar passages together and uh, try to learn from them. And so uh, keep the Sabbath school alive. Yeah, so if you don't go to Sabbath school, <laughs> go to Sabbath school. Yes. <laughs> so it's a, good, it's a good thing for mm -hmm. you. That's good. That's good. I, I didn't think about that until we just said that. I started out by criticizing ecclesiastical magisteriums within Adventism, and I came around to, well, we have Sabbath school, <laughs> so that's good. Um, I want to jump to kind of, I want to jump to Ellen White. You guys talk about Sola Scriptura and Ellen White. Now, let me, may I, may, <laughs> we'll, we'll, okay, we'll touch ahead. on that. But before we do that, there is, there is a, little, a little something where I would like to challenge us um, um, to think about this. You and me or the general not, not populace? Just, not, not just you, but all of us in the church, you know. Uh, we talk about scripture interpreting scripture on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. And how we, we need the Bible to, to help us to explain itself. Yeah. And in there, we, we make the statement that when we compare scripture with scripture, it is important to study the Bible authority, thoroughly and, if possible, even with the original languages, with Hebrew and Greek. Yeah, I read that. Now, here is, here is my challenge uh, to to all of us, you know, would... Go pick up a Greek grammar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not saying that you have to, to know Hebrew and Greek in order to read your Bible. God can lead you into truth and into understanding of the important things even without that, I'm convinced. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could uh, revive that a little bit? You know, if, if you were a Muslim, and if you wanted to study the Quran, yeah. you really want, you can do it only if you learn Arabic. Yeah. Because uh, in their thinking, you know, you have to, to have that language. And, and many Muslims do learn Arabic in order to understand mm -hmm. the Quran. Now, we don't have the same understanding of inspiration with the Quran and, and the Bible. But if we believe that this is, uh, this is the word of God and that God has given us precious truth and that the original was written in Hebrew and in Greek, and if Jesus spoke Greek, yeah. why shouldn't I learn, learn a little to, Greek? to learn the language that he mastered, you know, and that he spoke? And, and I think it would be just uh, exciting. It yeah. would be exciting if, um, if pastors or members in the church who are knowledgeable of the biblical languages, for those who are interested, this is not mandatory, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for those who have a little, a little Bible study group where you start to learn some of the basics of biblical language yeah. and apply that to your understanding of scripture, you would be surprised about new things that emerge from the word. Yeah. And it would just, I think it could re revitalize uh, some, some of our spiritual experience. Uh, Spencerville Church, I think that, <laughs> that Frank <laughs> has just volunteered to start a Greek 101. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what a good pastor does. You have an idea sure, and you sure, say, good, go with it. That's go the leader. <laughs> go with it. <laughs> so no, I do, think, I do think that's great. I, I uh, for, I, of course, did a lot of languages. Then I came out. And there was always this talk of, of uh, you know, people would make comments about, 
like, oh, pastors using the languages, try to sound too smart, or whatever else. Yeah, and then we, I came we have here, to be careful with that. Then I came here, though, where it's much more acceptable. You know, we have a... Yeah. a a church body that is much more no, accessible. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying that, and it would be entirely wrong if we were doing that to show off. Yeah, yeah. But, know, but, it, but what I was going to say is not about showing off, but what I was going to say is it's brought me back. What I was going to say is this, this, the Spencerville body, I look out, and mm -hmm, you're here, mm -hmm. and uh, Elias, mm -hmm. Brazil D'Souza, who wrote the last lesson as a member mm -hmm. of the church. And I mean, there's, there's these type of folk mm -hmm, that are in our mm -hmm. church. I go, okay, I got to know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's driven me back to those languages. Yes, That's yes, what I'm yes, saying. Yes. And, uh, and how wonderful it has been to see little nuggets of things yes. uh, and say, oh, man, that's a... Yes, absolutely. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I just did that in the sermon a few weeks ago with uh, mm -hmm. Jesus saying, you will be with me in paradise. And mm -hmm. he used that word paradiso mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, what that actually means. Mm -hmm, and it's like, mm -hmm. wow. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get that. Just by reading Paradise. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Paradise, yeah. you think of Hawaii or something yeah. in the English or whatever, but, yeah. but you don't get the depth mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. if you don't have the language. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should do that, Frank. I'll be calling mm -hmm. you to talk to you about that once we're well, all out of we'll COVID-19. COVID <laughs> okay, so let's go to Ellen White. Let's, let's, let's go there. Right. I'm glad you paused me and, and had us think about that. But let's go to Ellen White and Sola Scriptura because mm -hmm. this is always the challenge. We get challenged by this in the rest of Protestantism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, this is a mm -hmm. challenge that we have. It's on page 62 of us and mm -hmm. then on page 43 of, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm, of the regular mm -hmm. one. Um, I want to first of all say this. I know you as well agree with me uh, in this regard. I 100% believe in the prophetic ministry of Ellen White mm -hmm. and that Ellen White not only had prophecy but she held a prophetic office. Mm. Mm -hmm. I believe these things. Um, let me ask you, though, based on her own statements, uh, if you had made God's word your stay with a desire to reach the, the Bible standard and attain Christian perfection, you would not have needed the testimonies. If you, because you have neglected to acquaint yourselves with God's inspired book that he sought to reach you by simple direct testimonies speaking of her own things. Mm -hmm. That's a quote from Ellen White. Yeah, that's a quote from Ellen White. Mm -hmm. So I read that as saying, and you can tell me if you agree, mm -hmm. can you be a good Adventist uh, without the writings of Ellen G. White? Well, you would miss out on something important, and I think any good Adventist would, uh, would appreciate her and would have, um, would be grateful and thankful to have her insights. I tried to get you a little in trouble, but you, you did good there, Frank. <laughs> but but uh, let me ask it this way then. Our beliefs, do we need Ellen White? No, we don't need her. I hope. I hope that everything we believe as Seventh-day Adventists, we can demonstrate from Scripture alone. Mm -hmm. And I think we can. Yeah. Does that make Ellen White superfluous? No. Yeah. You know, if you go by Scripture alone, you realize that the Bible talks uh, about the gifts of the Spirit mm -hmm. and uh, that uh, in, in the end time, the end time church, the remnant will have uh, the testimony, uh, the prophetic testimony. Well, and the Bible warns against rejecting and prophecy. And the Bible warns against that. So the if, idea that there will be future prophecy. That, so that's so if, if you want to go by scripture alone, you would expect 
that the end time church will have that gift, yeah. will have that blessing. And so um, if you take the Bible serious, then you will not do without her. Yeah. But she should never become a replacement of sorts yeah. for the Bible or for any uh, thorough Bible study that we do uh, ourselves. And she, she uh, repeated that several times in her writings and made it very clear that for her, the Bible is the book by which we should live. And we should always be cautious to make sure that we're showing that our foundational, our doctrines are built upon the scriptures and not her. Yes. And we have to be careful with the language because we sometimes, as pastors, we share a truth from Scripture and then we say, as Ellen White says, which makes Ellen White rather than, right? Does that make sense? That, there, there, that is a danger and we have to be careful. I'm not saying that we should not use her. Yes, we should. But we should use her uh, wisely yeah. and prudently and, and not give the impression that Somehow she is above scripture because yeah. she interprets everything yeah. for us. That, that would be something, I think, where she herself would feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. And again, I love Ellen White. And I'm not, and me I, too. And, me too. And anyone that listens to me preach probably hears a quote from her almost every single week. I mean, yes. I, I, I appreciate her. All I'm making the point is just that, that we can defend our truths through scripture alone. Yes. Yes, yes. And Adventists need to get to the place where they can do that. Because when I'm talking with my Baptist brother saying Ellen White says or is not the way to go. Yeah. Right? Now, uh, if, if I may, I usually don't, don't just read from the, the lesson. Yeah, but go ahead. Especially, but since we are talking about Ellen yeah. White, there is a quotation from Ellen White on the Friday, uh, Further Thought. And I think it's, it's just fitting uh, about what we are talking here, and maybe I can read a, a few sentences from there. Yes. Uh, there she says, <clears throat> from the, the first quote is from the book of Education, the student of the Bible should be taught to approach it in the spirit of a learner. Mm -hmm. We are to search its pages not for proof to sustain our opinions, but in order to know what God says. Mm -hmm. And then she says, and in order to gain this knowledge, we must live by it. And I would like to add, you know... I like this. Let's, yeah, let's make um, this our closing point. It's, I know where you're it's, going. Um, it's not just important that we study the Bible. We also want to practice what we are learning. Mm -hmm. So sometimes maybe a little less straight testimony and a little bit more straight living would, would, do, mm -hmm. would, would be a blessing for all of us. You know, and... Uh, and I think uh, that's, that's also what Ellen White had in mind. Are you saying that, that we can show that we live by, that, that the truth of Sola Scriptura might be mo more evident than, than just pounding by the finger? Saying it, yes. By living it. Absolutely. Now, we have to proclaim it, yes. yes. But if you live it, it's just, it's just more powerful and yeah. more beautiful, and it's, it's, it's more inviting. Yeah. yeah. So Sola Scriptura is more than just words spoken. It's life lived. Yes. So, yeah. well, good, Frank. I thank you for this time again, as always. And uh, I hope that all of those that have been watching at home uh, will be blessed by this. And again, like I said, there's, there's a lot in there that we could have covered. We went through quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago, we did 51 minutes, and I was scolded by folks saying we went a little too long. So, <laughs> so I tried to get that a little bit uh, shorter on time. 
But uh, we will see you next week as we do lesson six. Yes, thank right. you. Thank you.